live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. All right, good morning on this Friday. Welcome into the program. As you just heard, I am Bill Ryder. I'm filling in. Welcome into the Jim Rome Show. Jack Savage, what a great name. Producing today, Alvin. And I love Alvin. Am I allowed to say Alvin's my favorite person from the show? I just did it. Yeah, I like, dude. Yeah, I like everybody. Love me some Alvin. 1-800-636-8686. If you want to give us a, a call, be part of the show. Come on, clones. I'm wanting you. Get in here. Rome at Habitake.com. If you want to say something nice at Jim Rome, if you want to talk to me at Sports Writer, Sports R-E-I-T-E-R-B, as mean as you can be. It is a Jim Rome fill-in tradition. Get home. Pour myself a pretty good bourbon. Usually a tall one if I'm doing this show. Yeah! Oh, let's go and read your mentions at SportsRider, Sports, R-E-I-T-E-R. JimRome.com is the website. All right, so uh, Ross Tucker is going to be on the show. Former NFL player, NFL analyst, podcaster. Great, great guy. And we'll get into the NFL schedule and just kind of see where he sees things going. We'll talk some some Jets. Sam Amick's going to be on the program. Rob Dibble is going to be on the program. We've got Jeff Goodman, excellent stadium basketball writer, who I met doing Jim Rome's television show back in the day. Uh, we'll get into the Nuggets. Maybe the most underrated number one seed in, in recent memory, just destroying the Phoenix Suns. And, and the lesson that comes with going out there and trying to buy a team, build a team by stealing a star, even a star who shines as brightly as Kevin Durant. We'll get into Tom Brady, perhaps, maybe, limited partnership with the Raiders, what that means and what it doesn't mean for his deal with Fox Sports to be their highly paid broadcaster if he ever does that. We'll try to figure out. I've got two hours. This will be in two hours. How aggressively can I make fun of Anthony Davis for being in a wheelchair at the end of that game? Because it will have implications on what happens at that game tonight. Warriors against Lakers. Mark Jackson made a mistake. I don't envy on anybody. I'm also, along with Mark Jackson, one of the 100 voters for those NBA awards. He left Nikola Jokic off of his MVP ballot. Not even top three. Didn't have him in the top five. We'll talk Knicks Heat. We'll hit up a whole bunch of things. want to start here, though. I'm just going to come right to it. Doc Rivers is terrible at his job. Doc Rivers is a brutal, brutal coach. And that Celtics championship he got a long time ago masks the fact that he should have gotten more and that every team that has trusted him, including the Sixers on stark display last night, have come up short because of his presence. What a collapse in the making for Philadelphia. Entering last night's game against a completely discombobulated, out of rhythm Boston Celtics team. Sixers were up 3-2. They were at home. They had every opportunity to win that game. Things looked dire for Boston. Joe Mazzula, rookie head coach, well-respected, thrust into that job because of unforeseen circumstances has struggled in this postseason, had forgotten early in this postseason, in this series, how to call a timeout. It's not hard. Put your hands together like this, say the words timeout, had an opportunity to call a play for Boston in a game they should have won, didn't. You had those blown games. You had Tatum, Jason Tatum, star for the Celtics, who was on most people's top five list ballot for the MVP, start one of 14, entering the fourth quarter one of 13, started the game one of 14. Game's in Philly. Joel Embiid's on the floor. 
everything said Philly should have won that game last night, finished off the Celtics, and moved on to the conference finals. But it turned out Boston had the Sixers exactly where they wanted them. <laughs> down 3-2. Doc Rivers doesn't know how to win. Let me give you some of these stats. They made the rounds last night. You may have seen them on Twitter. And, and full disclosure, and those of you that have been listening to me for a while when I filled out on this show, the show that I do over on CBS Sports Radio before Jim's show, if you watch CBS Sports Network or CBS Sports HQ, you know there's not a lot of love lost between Doc Rivers and I. Because I have said for years what is true, and that is Doc is a grossly overrated head coach, which is a widespread belief around the NBA nobody wants to talk about. And Doc Rivers hasn't always appreciated that. There are 13, and I know that doesn't apply to this series, but it's, I think it's germane in terms of the Sixers on the cusp of not being able to close this series. There's a Game 7 on Sunday. I get it. It's in Boston. In theory, Doc Rivers and Philly could win it. We'll get into why that's almost an impossibility. Now, the, the Sixers were up 3-2 in this series. Doc Rivers has blown, I believe, it's seven of those. It's hard to keep track of. He has, in his career, been the coach of three teams that have been up 3-1. 3-1 in a playoff series that have failed to close that series out. That has happened 13 times in the history of the NBA, three of them coached by Doc Rivers' teams. In elimination games, in games where the other team can be eliminated, in closeout games for Doc Rivers' teams, Doc Rivers is 17-32. and 32. That is a 34% clip. That is abysmal. It, bro, that was a great drop. How does Alvy do that? Because I didn't know. I, I don't think he knew I was going with that stat. In Game 7s, Doc Rivers is 6-9, and nine, about to be 6-10. and 10. The dude has four more Game 7 losses than any head coach in NBA history. And in that game last night, you saw all of this come together. You saw James Harden shrink in the moment again, which happens, by the way, with Harden. You saw Embiid, and he was fine in the fourth quarter. I think he had six points or whatever it was. You saw Jason Tatum, who again started 1 of 14, outscore that Sixers team himself. He had 16 fourth quarter points, 16 to 13. In the playoffs, teams reflect almost always their coaches and the vibe and the confidence and the excellence of their coaches. There's a reason the Miami Heat have an opportunity tonight to knock out the Knicks. It's because they play above their station. They play incredible defense. They play angry and they play smart. And all of those things describe Eric Spolstra. Guy came up from the video room, overachieved in every sense of the word in the NBA, but especially if you're trying to climb that many rungs on the ladder under Pat Riley. That's a near impossibility. Spolstra is one of the best X's and O's guys in the game. He preaches defense. He's so good at X's and O's adjustments. The Heat reflect that coach. They just do. You can go through the whole NBA. Look at, what, look at what's been going on in L.A. with Darvin Ham. I mean, that team has been an overachiever, has proved the doubters wrong, has been focused on defense, and has made use of every single person in that roster, just like their head coach in his career and what he's done. And the Sixers were Doc Rivers last night. Disinterested incapable, overwhelmed. The last couple minutes of that game, the Sixers gave up. If you watched the end of that game, it was like a buck 23 left. They were down eight or nine or seven or whatever it was, but they were still sort of in the game. And Embiid and Harden were walking. They had given up because that's what Doc Rivers' teams do. I don't know what Doc says to his teams at halftime. Is it who cares? 
You guys are screwed. You have zero chance, but I guess go play. It's bizarre. And after the game, Doc Rivers came to the podium. I was so interested in what he was going to say. Because what you should say is, I screwed up. This is my bad. I, I, I didn't run an offense the last five minutes, which they didn't, by the way. I've got to have them more focused. This is on me. But Doc never says it's on him. Nothing's ever Doc Rivers' fault. Here is Doc Rivers, the most overrated coach in the NBA, and his remarkable analysis on what went wrong. I didn't like how we played overall offensively, though. Down the stretch, you know, got to play for your big fella more. Didn't think the ball went there. Um, so I have to watch the film. But I just didn't think we had a game of great trust tonight. Um, you know, I thought our guys all wanted to win. Uh, they played that way, and sometimes I think that gets in your way. And I thought that happened tonight. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I take it back. He's amazing. He cracked the code. The guys wanted to win, see. They wanted victory, and that really got in the way. What, what is this dude even talking about? They wanted to win, and that's what went wrong? Everybody wants to win, bro. What, are you going to hypnotize these guys like some stupid upcoming Ben Affleck movie to pretend that they don't care? No, that's not going to be effective. We had a problem with trust tonight? Man, that's not good. If only the NBA had a head coaching position that you could like create that would help a team do things like want to trust each other. Look, I, I get it. James Harden, and I like James a lot. James Harden has made a career of utter remarkable greatness in the regular season that just comes up short in the playoffs. And if you just look at box scores or a game here or there, you can convince yourself, it's kind of a Rorschach test, that Harden's been great. But he hasn't been. You're a star, you're a superstar, whatever. you got to be amazing in the big moments. Harden's had a couple outstanding games in the box score, and I thought his last game was fine. He's had games where he's been okay. He was terrible last night, an 0 for 4 in the fourth quarter. Embiid cannot give up on his team. He cannot show that lack of effort. But the real thing about Joel Embiid that's fascinating to me is that he is candid to a fault, at least about other people. If you believe in your coach, and again, the Sixers are still a game away from going to the conference finals. You've seen what the Warriors have said and done when they've been down in this series. We can be better. Steph Curry, I got to be better. Even after their win the other night, Steph Curry said on the floor, I think to TNT, I think it was a TNT game, I've shot poorly, Clay's been hit or miss, we can be even better even though we won. Guys take accountability. When your star player in Philadelphia or anywhere starts taking shots at the head coach, which is what you're about to hear, you got a problem. Here is Joel Embiid. After the game, clearly complaining, and rightfully so, about his head coach. I don't think I touched the ball the last four minutes of the game. Um, you know, I, like I said, missed a lot of good good looks. Um, I didn't touch the ball at all. I mean, look, there's a lot of things that go into losing a series. And losing a series up 3-2 is not the end of the world. It's not the same thing as a 3-1. It Momentum is powerful, and it matters. If the Celtics are able to complete this comeback, it'll be the second time in back-to-back -back seasons that they've done this to get where they want to go, or at least part, partly where they want to go. But Doc Rivers loses again and again and again and again. And if you talk to people around the NBA like I do for my other job as an NBA insider over at CBS Sports, the truth is that people will tell you privately they don't think Doc is very good at his job. And for whatever reason, some people will say that and some people won't. But for better or worse, I'm not going to sit here on this show, on the Jim Rome Show, on CBS Sports Radio and CBS Sports Network or any other place and just pretend because I'm worried Doc Rivers is going to go on some radio show and get mad at me, which has happened. Part of the deal. Doc Rivers is not good at his job. 
Doc Rivers has lost critical games again and again and again. If you have a really, it's like the movie Major League. If you want to lose a bunch of games and break your team's hearts because you got some sinister plan to relocate or something, Doc's your guy. Go to Doc. But if you have a team that has a closing window, because who knows how long Joel Embiid, just the position he plays and how big he is, and his history, can stay healthy. Who knows if James Harden's going to be in Philly next year? And there's a different debate if you even want him. But around the NBA, there's a real sense, it's a coin flip, that, that Harden may just go back to Houston. Who knows how long Daryl Morey, who's in charge of this organization from a basketball operations perspective, but didn't hire Doc Rivers, is going to put up with largely, not Harden, but largely the team that he inherited. There's pressure here. And Doc Rivers is the perfect answer if you want to squander that opportunity and succumb to the pressure. Here's the deal. It doesn't matter if the Sixers win this game on Sunday. They're not going to. Jason Tatum's not going 1-14 to start the game again. It's in Boston. And we've already seen, in classic Doc Rivers coach style, this team's spirit, the Sixers' spirit, be broken. But even if they somehow manage to win, even if Tatum goes 1-23, of and therefore Doc Rivers can coach his team to a three-point victory, he cannot come back next year. You have to fire the guy. He's not the right coach. You're not going to win with him. This has been evident for years. Bill Parcells, people tell you who they are, listen. Doc Rivers has been screaming from every 3-2 series lead that he's blown, every 3-1 series lead that he's blown. The fact that in games where his teams that are coached by him have a chance to close out series, that he wins 32% of the time, that he's not up to the job. Philly, I don't hate your town. I don't hate your city. Relax. I want you to be successful. You're just not going to be with Doc Rivers. All right, 1-800-636-8686 is the phone number here on, on the show. 1-800-636-8686. Jack Savage is going to get in on the mix and answer those phone calls. So get in there. Visit with our guy. Make your voice heard. Sports writer, sports R-E-I-T-E-R, at Jim Rome, jimrome.com. Mr. Tucker is going to join us next here to talk NFL schedule release and Tom Brady's power moves when we come back here on the Jim Rome Show. You're listening to the Jim Rome Show. U.S. Cellular has some great news, especially for you, person listening to this podcast. Right now, you can get one line with unlimited data for just $29.99. So, unlike other cell networks, you won't have to pay for lines you don't need just to get a good price. Get one line for $29.99 with unlimited data today. U.S. Cellular, built for us. Terms do apply. Visit uscellular.com for details. All right, welcome back into the Jim Rome Show. Bill Ryder with you hanging out, filling in for Jim. Thank you for listening and being here. 1-800-636-8686. It is Mother's Day this weekend, which, by the way, I forgot a few days ago in front of my wife. That was a great moment. So Ross Tucker is going to give us a little tip on what you might be able to do if, like me, you have screwed up and waited to the last minute. We're also going to talk some football, and I've got a very weird question for him because this guy's awesome, and he joins me right now. Mr. Tucker, longtime former NFL player, podcaster, analyst. What's up, buddy? Bill, I'm doing great, man. Good to, uh, good to be on with you in a different time slot. Yeah, this, this is fun, dude. All right, let me throw a curveball at you. Mookie, I don't know if you saw this baseball story. Mookie Betts skipped a, the hotel with the team recently on the road because he was worried about a haunted house like a, or a haunted hotel. This is a true story. You played for a while. Do you believe in ghosts? Would you ever have told the coach, like, hey, man, I, I can't stay at the insert hotel because it's haunted. I got to go to the VRBO. Yeah, so number one, I don't believe in ghosts. Got it. And number two, man, I feel like even if I did, 
that'd be a tough thing to admit or to say to the coach <laughs> and then get out there publicly. I feel like I would be more inclined to just suck it up or, I don't know, have somebody stay with me or get a, get a, get a security guard for the night or something. I, I don't know. I feel like I would not want that to be out that I believe in ghosts or I'm scared of ghosts. So, um, you know, it's funny. He's such a good player that doesn't really matter, but I think it's a lot tougher if you're like uh, a nondescript player to say that, you know? Yeah, I guess if you're not good enough, you just have to be haunted. Just take the haunting risk. Ross Tucker here on the Jim Rome Show. I'm, I'm Bill Ryder filling in. What um, Anything strike you in particular about the the NFL schedule release that, that we got yesterday, Ross? Yeah, well, I mean, a bunch of things. I mean, the first one is it's just unbelievable, Bill, how big a deal it's become. I mean, I'm thinking six or seven years ago on my show, the Ross Tucker Podcast, I had Mike North who's the director of broadcasting for the NFL. I had him on the show, and we talked about how the schedule gets made, and he talked about the computers, and they put these different rules into the computer and blah, blah, blah. And it was like one of the most popular shows I've ever done because people just found it so interesting, and then when people would Google it, that's what would come up. But there was no, like, the schedule guys were never getting interviewed back then. Now, every show, like every show, NFL Network or ESPN, uh, every podcast, they all have the schedule guys on. And, you know, these guys do like 30 interviews this week. And the NFL releases like one game every few hours. And it goes out on social media and everybody goes crazy about it. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Like, I, I, I've joked before that the NFL should make every, every round, you know, its own night. You know, have like a week of the NFL draft, Right they've almost made it a week for the NFL schedule and they could really drag that thing out even more if they wanted to. I think they are always trying to balance like, okay, how, how long can we really milk this before people get sick of it? It's a good idea, Ross. And I don't know where as a former player you come down on this, but I will go through for fun and sometimes on the radio show, every single team or every team I care about their schedule and try to just guesstimate in my brain how they're going to do. And I'm looking at the Jets schedule right now, right? Because obviously, really interesting storyline. Aaron Rodgers there. Really good roster. Buffalo is who they start against. Then at the Cowboys. Then New England. Then at home against the Chiefs. Then at Denver. Then the Eagles. And I won't go through the whole thing. But just looking at this, I, I want to ask you, having seen the schedule, how do you think the Jets are going to fare in what is a high-expectation season? with a limited window for Aaron Rodgers, maybe it's a couple years, maybe it's not, in what looks to me like, certainly at the front end, a, a pretty, certainly not an easy schedule for this season. Yeah, it's so funny, too, because, you know, we've known who they're going to play, right, and where the games would be since the day the season ended. So any of us, you, me, we could have gone through and done their one loss, right? But it just doesn't, it's just awkward to do until you actually see the when, right? We knew the where and we know the who, but we didn't know the when. Now that you got the when and it's lined up, you can go through and say, I didn't got to win, that's a loss. You and I both know injuries are such a big factor in the NFL that it's really difficult to do that. And I also think, like, I know a lot of Giants fans are upset. Seven, uh, they're on the road. Seven of the first ten weeks, you know, they have road games. So they only have three home games. But then, you know, my point is, okay, but when it's the end of the season, you know, they've got five home games the last seven games. You know what I mean? Like, it, it balances out. 
It, it's we already know what it's going to be. It balances out. So I always think it's funny when people only ever harp on like the tough stretch. Like the Eagles have a tough stretch late. You're talking about the Jets having a tough stretch early. I would say this to your point, Bill. I think I'd rather have the tough stretch later on in the year because especially with the Jets having a new quarterback, you know, it might take him a couple weeks till he's really on the same page with his new weapons in New York. I mean, think about Brady and the Bucks, right? I mean, they ended up actually being a wild card. I mean, they, they didn't really start playing well to like the last five weeks of the season, his first year in Tampa Bay, and then the playoffs, and they went and they won the whole thing. But that really, they really didn't get cooked until the end of the year. So I don't know that that would be great for the Jets. I don't know if they'd be able to survive that initial gauntlet that they have if it takes Rodgers too much time to get on the same page with his receivers, which is probably one of the reasons why he's been going to some of these offseason practices. Ross Tucker here on the Jim Rome Show, CBS Sports Radio, CBS Sports Network. The AFC is is just brutal, Ross, and, and it's going to be so much fun to watch. you got the Chiefs, you got the Bengals, you've got the Bills. I think the Dolphins can be really good. They certainly were last year if Tua is healthy. Baltimore is interesting. You just go down the list. It is, it is loaded with, with really interesting teams. I know that there are things we can't guess yet. I know that injuries matter. But based on what you know, what's your confidence level that the Jets can be competitive, one of the better teams in the AFC, given their roster, given Rodgers' arrival, and given how many good teams there are in that conference? Well, I think they have a great chance to make the playoffs because their defense is really good. Uh, They've added some interesting pieces in Lazard and Hardman. And, you know, they really did not get good quarterback play last year, obviously. I mean, it was maybe the worst in the league. And even if Rodgers isn't quite MVP level, I do think he's kind of energized, rejuvenated a little bit. I think he'll be better than he was last year in Green Bay. So I expect the Jets to make the playoffs, which, by the way, Bill, is the whole reason why they did this, right? I mean, they gave up, in my opinion, way too much for uh, only a one-year commitment, although you know there's a lot of rumblings out there that the restructured deal will prove it's a two-year commitment. But if you're Joe Douglas, the GM, going into year five, and Robert Sala, the head coach, going into year three, they know the deal. They've been around the NFL for a while. The Jets haven't been in the playoffs in over a decade. I think they'll go this year. Uh, I think they'll go this year. I think Joe Douglas and Robert Sala will end up getting contract extensions, which is – why they brought in Aaron Rodgers in the first place. I mean, if they don't go to the playoffs this year, then those guys probably get let go. And who cares about next year's first-round pick anyway? It's not even your pick anymore. You're fired. So totally understand why the Jets did what they did. I do think they'll make the playoffs because I do think a quarterback like Rodgers raises the level of expectation. It's like you don't want to screw up in practice, right? Because you don't want to be the one that lets down the, the first ballot Hall of Famer. I think that's a factor. This talk about the Super Bowl, though, which I know if he only plays one year, man, they kind of got to go to the Super Bowl to, to justify paying him $60 million and giving up a one and a two. That just seems really unlikely to me. Yeah, I mean, Bill, you're telling me the guy that the last 13 years playing primarily home playoff games in Green Bay in the NFC who couldn't get back to the Super Bowl – He's going to go to the AFC and more than likely play on the road, like at Cincinnati, at Kansas City, 
maybe, I don't know, maybe at Buffalo, that he's going to get that done and get them to the Super Bowl, that would, I mean, it's not outside the realm of possibility, but that would surprise me. That would be really impressive. I mean, based on what they gave up and just based on the, the expectations, is making the playoffs and then losing a playoff game, is that a successful season? Not to go all Giannis Antetokounmpo here, but is that even a, is that even a win for the season? I think it depends on who you talk to. I think that there would maybe be some fans that would say, no, it's not. Gave up too much money, gave up too much to get him. But they had the longest drought, playoff drought, of the four major sports. It would definitely be worth it. It would definitely be a success to the GM, Joe Douglas, and the head coach, Robert Sala, Bill, because they get contract extensions. I think it would be a success for Woody Johnson because the luxury box, Sales are through the roof. The season ticket sales through the roof. The social media has increased. The merchandise sales, and they get back to the playoffs. I think all of those parties would be happy about it. It's because a lot of them are short-term focused. It'd be the fans' discussion. I'd love to hear from the fans, a Jets fan, because they got a great fan base, as to whether or not that would be considered a success or that would be worth it in their mind. I love the real talk, Ross Tucker, because the reality is, and I say this a lot, guys in, the, guys in all these sports are operating their own best interests, coaches and GMs, under the guise of the best interests of their organizations. And hopefully they overlap, but you're right. They're operating a way to, to extend their money and their contracts and their livelihoods, which is, just, which is human nature. Another deal that got done, and I don't think I've talked to you since this happened, Lamar Jackson finally got paid, got paid a good amount of guaranteed money, Obviously, he represented himself, and there was the kind of drama that always comes in, in a negotiation. What do you think the ceiling is and the floor is? What's the range of expectation for you for that Ravens team and that quarterback who now has the money more or less that he wanted? Well, first of all, I'm thrilled for him because he was really making me nervous. And I understood why he wanted the fully guaranteed. I understood why he wanted what Deshaun Watson wanted. But it was almost like, uh, what's that movie, Brewster's Millions? Remember Brewster's Millions? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it was almost like, you know, Lamar Jackson already had the $200, 250000000 million, and he wasn't willing to just take it. You know, he, he was trying to get more than that, and he was potentially willing to risk, risk it all, or ri- at least risk a lot. So I was glad he came off the fully guaranteed thing. I did not want to see him play this year for $32 million. Now, you know, generations of his family are taken care of, and he earned that, and so I'm thrilled for him from that perspective. I think you can make an argument that the Ravens, and in particular Lamar Jackson, have the greatest variance of any team and player in the NFL this year. And I say that because they got a new system there with Todd Munkin who was the Georgia OC the last couple of years. And I think they'll, I was talking about this with Greg Cosell on my show this week, the Ross Tucker uh, podcast. And he thinks that they'll do a lot more spread. So you won't see as much of the fullback, as much of the tight end, a lot more spread to open up running lanes for Lamar and to be able to throw it more. You know, I'm fascinated because on the one hand, maybe, maybe Lamar's perfect for the spread, Maybe they have, maybe they light it up with Beckham Jr. and Zay Flowers, and maybe Lamar has it like an MVP season again. Well, on the other hand, you know, people forget that a big reason why he won the MVP 
when he did, unanimous, was they totally took the league by storm with Greg Roman's offense. I mean, it was all the quarterback design run game, and nobody knew how to stop it. And so that was a big factor, I thought, in Lamar's success the last couple of years. So we are about to see, you know, just exactly what Lamar is capable of. And I'm really curious to see how Munkin uses them. And does Lamar take off? Or are we sitting here midseason being like, you know what? Uh, he was better when they had the Greg Roman offense and a quarterback-centric run game, and he wasn't getting as many of these passing situations. We're about to find out a lot more about Lamar Jackson this year, which is so interesting considering the investment the Ravens just made in him. All right, Ross, we're about to public service announcement for all the dudes listening who need a lasting, memorable Mother's Day present that that will be talked about for a long time. I love my front page story.com. It's, it's amazing. But one last quick football question for you. Circling back sort of to Aaron Rodgers. Obviously his absence means Jordan Love is the guy in Green Bay. And uh, Ross, I'm a Bears fan. I hate the Packers by nature. I, I really, And I have all my family's from Wisconsin. So all I've heard for years is just how much my team sucks. Because they do. And how great the Packers have been. Because they have been great. And, and yet I find myself rooting for Jordan Love. Th- that is not an easy situation to step into. And Aaron Rodgers got to look out for Aaron Rodgers, but I'm not sure he made Jordan's love life, his life, super easy. What is your confidence level? He's not going to be Aaron Rodgers, but that Jordan Love can be a an effective quarterback. And at the end of this year, we will say this guy belongs as a starter in the NFL. Well, first of all, I love the play on words there. Jordan's love life—that's amazing. I never thought <laughs> accidental I'm use that all season. Yeah, I'm all seeing Jordan's love life. <laughs> it's funny, Bill, because I'm rooting for Jordan Love, too, because of the way things kind of went down the last couple of years with Aaron Rodgers. And what's so ironic about that, that's exactly how I felt about Aaron when he took over for Favre at the end. Me, too. You know, everything yeah. got so weird with Favre that I, I, you know, I remember being on the radio and people were saying I, I, was, a, I was a team Aaron Rodgers guy. I was like, I don't know, I'm a team Aaron Rodgers guy. I just think Favre. Uh, Farver's, you know, been a little bit overbearing here. So it's funny. I agree with you on love. Man, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I, I think that it's funny because clearly the Packers have a, a pretty good feel for him and feel pretty good about it. Otherwise, they probably would not have done this with Aaron. They, they probably wouldn't have moved on. But he just hasn't played enough for any of us to really be sure. And I guess what I would tell you is, you know, I, it's highly unlikely he's as good as the two guys before him. I mean, and that's the thing, because yeah, you mentioned how, how great yeah. your Wisconsin friends have said, you know, that the Packers have been. And they have, but I don't know. You know, getting back to the Jets, like the existential Jets question, here'd be a good question. For, the, for, for 30 years, I believe, the Packers – got top five quarterback play from multi-year MVP caliber players. They went to three Super Bowls and they won two. Is that a success? Like, was that, I mean, it, no, it's, it's for it, me. you compare that to like Brady and it's almost embarrassing. It, it's, it, it's, it's just wild. I guess it makes what Brady accomplished even more impressive. It's not a success relative to those talents, but it's a lot more fun than being a Bears fan over that time who's related to a bunch of Packers fans. So I guess it's all it's all relative, Ross Tucker. Uh, before we run, before we run out of time here, um, I have you on the show all the time that, that I host before Jim. I know Jim has you on, and we talk a lot about myfrontpagestory.com. It's Mother's Day coming up. 
for those idiots like me that f just forgot about that a couple days ago, can you tell people why, what it is and why this would be perfect for whoever's out there looking for a gift for their mom? Well, yeah, listen, or I know a lot of guys don't even know what to get their wife, you know, fair. the mother of their kid. Yeah. And most people just drive home on the way home and pick something up today or tomorrow. Like they take their kids to McDonald's and go get something. Here's what I would tell you guys. Don't do either one of those. Go to myfrontpagestory.com. You can order it today or tomorrow, whatever, and they'll write the most unbelievable story about your mom or your wife. It looks like it's on the cover of the newspaper. It's framed with pictures. But here's what I think is amazing, Bill, and I didn't realize this till recently. You're not going to be able to get the story by Sunday. That's not going to happen. So you just you make the order so that you have proof that you did it ahead of time. <laughs> you print it out. You put it in an envelope or in a card. You hand it to them, and you say, I'm having a story written about you. I mean, that just sounds awesome. And then for the next week until they get it, can you even imagine the anticipation, Bill, like if your wife, everybody's wife or mom, like – waiting for that story, dying to know what is being written about them and what this thing's going to look like. It's almost better than if you just give it to them on Mother's Day. So go to myfrontpagestory.com. Get your mom or wife by far the best Mother's Day gift they've ever gotten. I can pretty much guarantee it. Myfrontpagestory.com. And pro tip for those folks listening, as a former newspaper writer, you can have the kiddos give quotes that can be put in the story. It's amazing. Uh, Ross Tucker, as always, buddy, love having you on whatever show I'm on, and it's always an honor to be on the Jim Rome Show. Thanks for joining me and, and making us all smarter. Anytime, Bill. You know that, man. Take care. Clones, what do you want when you're craving protein or you need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. You want beef, pure and simple. Where's the beef? It's in a package of... Old Trapper Beef Jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper Beef Jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for its relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest. It goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. Clones, if you do not see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper or what's your beef? All right, welcome back into the show. It's time to ask the pros. Were you the clones? Get to ask us a question brought to you by O'Reilly Auto Parts. Go to cbsportsradio.com slash askthepros and submit your question. Be listening later in the show when we might answer that question. Think O'Reilly Auto Parts for all your car care needs. Get the parts and service you need fast from the professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts. A quick update. Uh, on me being a terrible dad. Uh, I want to thank the, the clones, by the way. Last time I was here, I mentioned that I'd never taken my kid to an NBA game. Um, and many of you kindly at SportsRider, Sports, R-E-I-T-E-R, let me know that I was a horrible piece of words I can't say on CBS Sports Radio or CBS Sports Network, and I'm just a bad dad. You're, you're right. Like If you're a chef, what you want to do is take your kid to the kitchen all the time, right? If you sell insurance, what you want to do is like, hey, there's an insurance convention that I don't have to go to. Let me take Junior. And that's what it, but that's fine. That's fine. It's a fair point. I felt, I felt chastened. Is that the word? I don't have a big vocabulary. I felt chastened. So I took my son. You all got into my head a little bit. 
took my son to game three of this Warriors-Lakers series. And it cost me, basically, I'm going to start a GoFundMe page. I haven't done it yet to pay off the debt. I told Jack how much it, it cost. Jack Savage. And he, he goes, even that, he goes, that's Savage. That's what he said to me. It was weird. He used his last name as a retort. It must be a thing that he does. It was a lot of money, but I took my son, Henry. He had an amazing time. We had an awesome couple behind us, a dad and a daughter. She was probably my age. He was in his 70s or 80s. They've been going to games together for years. So we were in a little section of people that were fathers and sons and fathers and daughters. A buddy of mine, my, and my son's buddy, was three rows behind us randomly. Because I, I, I ended up going with pretty good seats. My buddy, Aaron who's a mover and shaker in that organization, took Henry down to the floor before the game, and he got to sort of stand behind the bench and see LeBron. So I'm still a bad dad, but now I'm playing a good one at times because I was on TV here on, on the Jim Rome Show. So thank you. All you mean-spirited people who hate it when I'm on uh, made me a better father, and for that, I'll always love you. Uh, we've got, uh, we got a little poem. So it's poem week, huh? I, I listen to this show all the time, but I miss the poems this week. All right. Scott in Salt Lake. Poem, same guy every every day this week? Number five, Scott. Poetry, baby. Let's go. Dear Bill. Oh, I love the topic here. I'm not a big Chris Paul guy. It's a really beautiful day for me. Because I would say the two people I have the most adversarial relationship with in the sport, and you may you learn this about me. I tend to be right on this stuff. I tend to say what's true and that no one else will, and that it all comes to fruition. And I get to right, it feels really good to just pat myself on the back, especially on Jim's show. Uh, Chris Paul, we are not friends. We do not get along. That guy is not a good teammate. At least he wasn't back in the day when I, when I was around the, that Clippers team. Anyway, I love the poem already. Here we go. Sun still no ring. Chris Paul no bling bling. It has to sting. What effort did you bring? Like David with no sling. A yo-yo with no string. Deserve a year in sing sing. Change is coming. For playoff next spring. Agree on Doc firing. <laughs> War Lakers tonight. <laughs> War Lakers. Uh, that game, we'll hit that game at the end of the show. I'll be there. And by the way, I know some of you secretly can't get enough. I, 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 it's, it's a hate-love relationship we have here on the Jim Rome Show sometimes. If you want more, I'll be on CBS Sports Network on uh, HQ Spotlight at, what, 5 o'clock Eastern time. And then I'll be on CBS Sports HQ at 6.15 Eastern time, both those from Crypto.com Arena, and then post-game from the floor from that game, whether the Lakers close out the Warriors or the Warriors force a game seven, I'll be on CBS Sports HQ doing a little, a little, a little post, a little post game. Man, that Suns, the Suns thing I actually think is not as dire. And we're going to hit this in about five or six minutes, so I'll save it, about 10 minutes. It's not as dire as what Philly, as what Philly is facing. I, I do really quickly want to bring up this Tom Brady thing. So, man, Tom Brady, I used to hate Tom Brady. I'm sure it was just pure jealousy of, of the, the Patriots. Because I actually, back in my writing days, that Kawhi, I, I, I spent some time interviewing Bill Belichick. and I got his phone number, and I still have it, but I don't have the guts to text it to see if it's still his. I like Belichick. Like, I like the guy. So I don't know what I had against the Patriots. Maybe it was just the smug excellence of Tom Brady's career. But, man, he, he won me over. Tampa Bay, there's just a weird charm to the guy. If he does the Fox Sports NFL broadcasting thing, I think he'll be outstanding at it. But the guy just keeps expanding his empire. And the latest report, I think it came out of ESPN, is that there are, I'm sorry, no, it came, yes, it came from Seth Wickersham, who I should know because Seth and I are buddies from college. 
we, we used to hang out, drink together. I was roommates with his best friend, Wright Thompson, who's a very well-known writer, which is a whole experience. Uh, Seth, who's incredible at his job. Uh, Seth Wickersham reporting that Brady's in negotiations with the Raiders to be a limited partner, whatever the hell that means. Here's what it probably means. It means he doesn't put up a lot of money. He has a percentage of that team. It's more wealth, but it brings a level of prestige to the Raiders. And it makes sense because at first blush, you might be thinking to yourself, what does Mark Davis or any of the folks involved with the Raiders, what do they really need Tom Brady for? The way this works typically, and Magic Johnson with the Dodgers is an example, there's a lot of them, is you tend to give over tens or hundreds of millions of dollars worth of value to someone like Tom Brady, usually not for very much money or no money, in exchange for their presence, for their brand, for their name being a part of your organization. And the Raiders have been an abject disaster. They just have been. And so the stabilizing force of Tom Brady, the the washing force of Tom Brady, just in terms of like cleansing what it has been to be the Raiders, it makes sense. And according to another report, this one out of ESPN, don't think it was Wickersham, they should be able Tom Brady should be able to do his Fox Sports broadcasting work even if he's a quote-unquote limited partner. As long as he's not a part of the contract negotiations, according to ESPN, he can do it. Good for Brady, man. And I think we have seen in some arenas where, where big names are able to be effective in pulling people in. Peyton Manning, right, I, I think in his presence that with, with, with the Broncos was very helpful in that respect. So we'll see whether or not Brady being a part of the Raiders maybe helps the Raiders out a little bit. I know free agency is not as big a deal in the NFL, but but good for him, good for Brady. Just continues to expand. And we're, we're heading toward a world where you're going to have former players in 15 or 20 years be the majority owners across the leagues. LeBron's going to have a team. All these guys are going to have teams. All right. I want to – um, we got Sam Amick coming up next hour. We got Rob Dibble coming up next hour. But before that, I want to get into Suns Nuggets. Nuggets were awesome. It was great. Good job. But what a debacle and a humiliation. What a poor performance from Phoenix. What it means, what happens next, and why Kevin Durant isn't who you think he is. Discover credit cards. Do something pretty awesome. At the end of your first year, they automatically double all the cash back you've earned. That's right. Everything you have earned doubled. All the cash back from eating at your favorite restaurant doubled. All the cash back from that trip where you sort of learn to snowboard also doubled. And the best part, you don't have to do anything ridiculous to get it. Discover does it automatically. Seriously, though, see terms and check it out for yourself at discover.com slash match. All right, welcome back into the Jim Rome Show. Bill Ryder filling in, as you just heard. Thanks for hanging out with us. Jim back on, I think he's back on Monday. Do I got that right, gentlemen? Jim, Jim back on Monday. In the meantime, the phone number hasn't changed. Thank you, Alvin DeLauro. Uh, 1-800-636-8686. RomanHaveATake.com at Jim Rome. JimRome.com. Hit me up. Sportswriter, Sports R-E-I-T-E-R. Two great guests this hour. Sam Amick from The Athletic, who's one of my favorite people in the business. And my, my uh, he's the guy that I'm sitting next to at these Lakers-Warriors games. So we got a lot of time together. Smart dude. G- really talented reporter and writer he'll be on 20 minutes and uh rob dibble one of my favorite favorite just people out there former major leaguer will be on at the end of the hour right around 10 40 pacific time out here on the on the west coast credit the nuggets for an absolute beatdown. what a domination was it 125 100 over the suns to send phoenix into that dark midnight of the offseason and there's a lot of caveats in that game. 
no Chris Paul. I mean, he's 105 years old, but still, no Chris Paul. Injured in the series, missed most of the games. No DeAndre Ayton. Clearly mattered. Devin Booker had been exceptional, exceptional in the postseason. It was inevitable, probably, he was going to have a lesser game. He did. He did last night. But there are two takeaways. There are two reasons that the Suns are going home and the Nuggets are advancing. One is that the Denver Nuggets are incredible. And I want to hit that here for a second to give them credit. But the other one, it may be the more interesting thing. This is going to come off like a criticism and a put down. And it's not. But Kevin Durant's one of the most overrated players in the history of the sport. Let me just say this, though. All these guys, right? Your Shaq, your Mike, your Kareem, your Steph, your Durant, your any of these dudes who are a top 5, 10, 15, 20 player in the history of the game, they all think they're the best player ever. They all think they're the best player in the history of the sport. They can't all be the, the best or the second best or the fifth best. Just by the nature of that level of excellence that Durant has attained, you're going to be judged by the highest absolute standards of the sport, and very few people are going to get to be number one or number two number three. That, that's the math. I've been around Kareem. I've been around LeBron. I've been around Magic Johnson. I've been around Larry Bird. I've been around Shaquille O'Neal. And three of those five people have told me, who they didn't know very well other than LeBron, that they're the best player of all time probably, or they want to be, or they think they are. And the other two certainly believed it. But Durant's not as good as people think. Let's start with let's start with the Nuggets, though. Let me get to the Durant take in a second. The Durant thing's more interesting, but Denver deserves some freaking credit. At, at the start of this postseason run, very few people thought the Nuggets were good enough to make a deep run. Raises his hand if you're watching on CBS Sports Network. One of the people that got it wrong. Not that I didn't think it was possible, I just thought it was highly unlikely. And if they did it, I thought they would do it in a, in a bloodbath, grinded out, brutal fight. Not just utter domination in that final game. Not a statement in Phoenix of we are the best team in the Western Conference and maybe the NBA. And if you were on Twitter last night, you saw a bunch of other people raising their hands in the NBA Twitter sphere being like, I was wrong. I didn't see how good they are. I, they're amazing. I got it now. Because... The reality was, and I talked about this on the show I host before, Jim, Ryder Than You. Yeah, yeah, I know the name. I didn't come up with it, but it makes me laugh. Uh, 10 to noon Eastern time. I, I, I've talked about this. All of these folks around the NBA, you, you, you shoot the breeze with, with, with a GM or an executive or a scout or an assistant coach. They all would say about the Nuggets, good team, good team. But, man, they're not the cream of the crop in the West. I'm not sure. They're not. Nobody saw it coming. We should have. Nikola Jokic is amazing. That I did know. Amazing. And Jamal Murray, who, who missed last year, but was awesome in the bubble, that guy is a closer. And Michael Porter Jr., and I'm partial to MPJ because I went to Mizzou, Missouri, MIZ, baby, like he did, and just the depth of that team, and Michael Malone's a great coach. But there's also just a ferocity to that team. Ferocity. See, I don't have a big vocab. I try to go with those big words, and I just, man. They play with so much belief and anger. And they do the thing you have to do, the thing Doc Rivers' teams can't do. We talked an hour ago. When they're up, when they have a slight advantage, they go for the kill shot. They make sure a dangerous team, and the Suns could have been that, don't have a chance at any kind of comeback. Here's Michael Malone. I love this clip. This speaks so strongly and so absolutely to who this Nuggets team is, their makeup. Here is Michael Malone, the Nuggets head coach, after the win last night. Our mentality was take it. You know what I mean? Like they're not going to give it to us. we got to go out there and take it. You're playing against a team with their backs against the wall, facing elimination. Uh, you just can't show up and think you can just arrive at this game and work your way into it. 
And uh, we, we did not want to be counterpunchers. We wanted to come out and, uh, and strike first. And, and I felt uh, the start that we got off to was just outstanding. And the uh, second half, man, <laughs> just kept waiting for that run, that run, that run. Got through the third quarter. And um, to, to our guys' credit, we, you know, we had the right mindset coming into the game and for 48 minutes throughout the game. Uh, and that shows maturity. I'll take it. We're going to take it. Savage, like Jack Savage. I love it. I love it. And the other thing that's true about the about the playoffs, and this does apply somewhat to the Suns, about building winners, is that normally you got to build a team through time, through the slow formulation of team chemistry, and through the lessons of failing, right? Getting close and not quite getting there. And Denver's been through that. And they showed all of that in that, in that win. Kevin Durant hasn't played very much with the Suns. Got traded at the deadline, played a handful of games. Because he got hurt, didn't play a lot, of, have a lot of time in the regular season. They were great with him in the regular season, but it's a different animal when you get to the playoffs. But here's the other thing, the thing that I that I mentioned at the top. Kevin Durant is the is the greatest Scottie Pippen in the history of the sport. Let me explain. He's amazing. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. I haven't done this. I haven't actually thought about this deeply. But he's what? Let's all sort of workshop it together. Top three, top five, maybe higher. Score in the history of the sport, just pure score. And it's not like the guy's a liability on defense. He's obviously a remarkable specimen physically, and he can he can have an impact. But some guys close. Some guys are the best guys on a championship team, and some guys aren't. Does that mean Scottie Pippen had a bad career? No, of course not. Scottie Pippen, was he a bum? No, he's amazing. But Scottie Pippen couldn't be Jordan or even whatever the next level would be. Neither can Kevin Durant, and that's okay. But people don't understand that or see that because they see the box scores and they see the stats and they see the two finals MVPs that he got and they see his ridiculous scoring. But look at last night. Why did the Suns lose by 25? Why? Because the actual number one on that team had an off night, Devin Booker. Devin Booker could not play at the same level. And if you watch the game like I did, especially in the first half, because as Michael Malone just referenced, the Nuggets won that game in the first quarter, basically. It was over. The ball went up. The game started, felt like 10 seconds in, the game was over. But Devin Booker, not Kevin Durant, kept attacking and trying to play really fast and, 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 and increase the tempo and attack the rim. He was missing his shots, but he was trying. Kevin Durant was awful from the three-point line in this, in this series. He, hadn't, he hasn't shot well. Do you know what he did yesterday to, to make up for that, the response? He did not shoot a single three-point shot. Again, I'm not good at math, but I'm pretty sure if you don't shoot a three, so it's a zero— you get a zero in terms of how many you've made. And if I can just compare that to Jason Tatum, Jason Tatum on the same night started one of 14. And he kept shooting, he kept shooting, he kept shooting because he believed in himself. Because Tatum knew what we all know. The number one, the number one guy on a team has to win the games that are the most stressful and brutal and difficult and pressure-packed for their, for their guys. They have to. So Tatum kept sh- shooting, and he got 16 in the fourth quarter. Kevin Durant was like, ah, I'm out. Where's Steph Curry? Is Steph here? Oh, he's on the other team. That's right. I forced my way out, out of jealousy. I didn't get the credit I wanted. That's a, that's a fact, man. Look, Kevin Durant, if he heard this, and maybe he will because people listen to the Jim Rome show, would be all put out and maybe tweet, maybe wouldn't. I, I like Kevin Durant. He won't remember me. I remember him. I used to go to Oklahoma City a lot when he was there, and I liked him. He's smart, and he's interesting, and he's introspective, and he's got empathy, and he's an amazing player. But you know what smart people who have a lot of empathy you know what the, a, a, sort of a trait of, of theirs is? They feel all the feels all the time. And Kevin Durant is so thin-skinned. That's okay. 
I got people I love very deeply who are thin-skinned. And that's hard, especially around me, because I'm just like, let's be candid all the time. Kevin Durant, part of the reason the Suns lost this series is they didn't understand what should have been obvious. They traded for the greatest number two of all time, not a number one. Kevin Durant and the Thunder were up 3-1 on the Warriors in 2016 in the conference finals. 3-1. Kevin Durant couldn't close, didn't play or shoot efficiently over the rest of that series. Why? Because he's not a number one. And who is his co-pilot? Russell Westbrook, who's not a number five. Whatever. It shouldn't take Westbrook, Westbrook shots. But it's true. So he joined the Warriors. And he got he joined a 73-win Warriors team. You know the story. And they won championships, too. And he got both finals MVPs, deserved one. But the reason that worked is because Steph Curry, the actual number one, abdicated, stepped away. You take the shots. You get the limelight. You get the glory. You get the, the finals MVPs. And, and that was already true. The math, the eye test, talking to sources, whatever. Just knowing the game and watching it. That was true before. But it was proven last year when the Warriors won a championship without Kevin Durant. So Kevin Durant goes to the Nets, and he's got Harden, and he's got Kyrie. Can't get it done. Can't even get close to a championship. So he forces his way, and I know Kyrie went first, but still forces his way to the Suns. This team was in the conference finals a couple years ago. And I know there were injuries last night. I got it. I understand. I know there's no DeAndre Ayton and no Chris Paul. But still, Kevin Durant's got to take 33 shots then, especially when Devin Booker's having an off night. There's two reasons the Denver Nuggets destroyed the Suns and are advancing. Reason number one, and they deserve this to be said again and again and again, the Nuggets are awesome. They're awesome. I did not vote for Jokic for MVP. I found it to be, and I have one of those official votes, a real one. And I haven't looked yet. I might be the only person who did this, which is fine, because I was right. <laughs> but not in agreement with my colleagues. I went Giannis 1, I went Jokic 2, and yes, I went Joel MB 3. Now, I don't, any order you do that in, I think is fine. I hold all three of those guys in incredibly high regard. It was really brutal. But I recognize, because I, I had to vote and I cover the sport, the Jokic is incredible. He's incredible. All right. And Jamal Murray is a, is a closer. He is a number two. Not as good a number two as Durant, but he's a really good number two. And just the depths of that team, and, and as Michael Malone told us, they went for it. Kevin Durant isn't a number one. He's got to be part of a team that can complement him. And this is what I heard from him after the game because Durant's whole thing, and credit him being gracious, he recognized the team of the Nuggets. And to beat a team like the Nuggets that actually plays together with a star like Jokic, you got to have a guy that takes over a game. That ain't Durant. It's not. And Durant, to me at least, sounded like that's the fact when he talked about how Denver was so good in that game. Yeah, it sucked. It was bad feeling. It was embarrassing. They came out and hit us in the mouth. We couldn't recover. You know, you got to get them credit for being a disciplined team. When we got down big, I mean, it happened pretty fast. They were getting, <clears throat> they were getting whatever they wanted on the offensive side of the ball. So it's hard to get get you get get going on offense. It's hard to get going as a team if you're giving up points that many points. You know? Forty-four in the first, thirty-seven in the second, eighty-one points at the half. It's tough to get going. Yeah, the defense was brutal. 81 points in the first half is brutal. But here's another truism of the NBA that, again, I think proves Durant's amazing. It's not even a put-down. It's going to sound like it's just a truth. Here's a truism of the NBA that underscores that Durant's not a number one. If you have the best player on the floor 
on any given night, you can beat any team in the NBA. It's not a guarantee, but it's, it's certainly possible. Now, that's not easy to do when you're playing the Nuggets because Nikola Jokic is more than capable of being the best player on the floor every night. But that's, that's, that's the task. Devin Booker was awesome in that series. There was not a single game, not a single game, in those six, what, six games that were played in which Kevin Durant was the best player on the floor. Why? He's not the number one. He never has been. He couldn't do it in Oklahoma City. Couldn't do it with the Nets. Couldn't do it clearly with the Suns. We just saw that. He only did it with a Warriors team that goes so underrated and underappreciated for what they are, what they've created because of Steph Curry's greatness. Credit the Nuggets for being incredible. They're incredible. They're incredible. Way to go, Denver. I was wrong. Raise my hand. Should have seen it. Didn't see it. Now I see it. But I've known for a long time that KD's not a best player in a championship team. And the Suns better figure it out too and understand they need a little more depth and some more pieces they want to get where Denver's trying to go. All right, 1-800-636-8686. want to keep the NBA talk going. Sam Amick's so good and he disagrees with me on everything. So if you don't like anything I've said, just wait. He'll say the opposite. Guys, keep yourself tight and feeling confident with new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant, reformulated with 72-hour sweat and odor protection and one-quarter moisturizing cream. Stop worrying about your underarms so you can be present for the moments that matter. Do not let underarm insecurities keep you at arm's distance from the ones you care about. Buy new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant with 72-hour sweat and odor protection wherever personal care products are sold. I'm a huge Sam Amick fan. Writes for The Athletic. In fact, and look, a lot of great people at The Athletic. But when I signed up for The Athletic, it's when they hired Sam and I did it the code because I want to read Sam Amick's work. I follow him on Twitter. I would suggest you should too, Sam underscore Amick. I even, because I'm a lucky dude, I get to sit next to him at these Lakers games. Can't believe I got that good a seat. Sam Amick, welcome to the Jim Rome Show. What's up, buddy? Bill Ryder, what's up, sir? How the heck are you, man? You know, I always love coming on with Romy. always love coming on with you. Talk about the best of both worlds. It's all, it's all happening. All right, so I was just being nice to Kevin Durant, but it didn't sound like I was being nice, right? So you got to, like, hear the nuances and not the headline. I'm not going to pull you into that conversation, but I, I do want to ask you, do you think it is fair to assess the Suns' postseason as a failure given the fact Durant came in so late to the picture, and you know, like I know, no matter how talented the, the group, it, it takes time for, for folks to come together on an NBA team. Yeah, there's nuance. I know that doesn't always make for great talk radio. Uh, you know, I wrote a column coming into the playoffs about the idea that talent-wise the Suns looked capable of winning the whole thing, but then I had gone down kind of the historical lane a bit to chronicle the, uh, the fact that it's really never happened. Uh, when you talk about that high profile of a trade that late in the season, and then you add in the injury, you know, that kind of a mixture leading to a championship. Um, And so, uh, you know, no surprise, uh, they they didn't get it done. The depth wasn't there. The the synergy wasn't there between the stars, and and obviously they're out. We're obviously getting down to a limited number of teams, and so it's clear if you make a conference finals, you are obviously capable of winning the whole thing. We're sort of past that that argument with with Denver, and I'll raise my hand, Sam, and I did it a, a little bit ago. I didn't. I knew they were good. I didn't realize how good they were. What is it about this this Nuggets team? Do you think so far that have made them look like a championship contender and have them on the brink of, of trying to get to to a finals with with, with Jokic as obviously the, the the main part of that equation? Um, I mean, Jokic being 
this incredible hub for their offense. And this guy who, it's funny because his understated nature, his goofy personality, I think, kind of belies some of the competitiveness that we're seeing. And, and, you know, he's well aware, even though I don't think he spends much time on social media, that, that, you know, his greatness has been questioned a lot the last couple of years. You win two MVPs. You know, but you get bounced by the Warriors quickly in the first round last year, even though they had a lot of injuries on that team. And I think what you're seeing now is, is, is Jokic at his best, unlocking a roster that, you know, to be honest, credit to current GM Calvin Booth, who added some fantastic pieces last summer. And then before that, of course, Tim Conley building uh, when it comes to the core players on this team before he headed off to Minnesota. And, and the, you know, the postseason is when you see if those moves are going to pay off. So when you have uh, you know, the Bruce Browns of the world and the Contavious Caldwell Pope giving you, you know, back-to-back 20-plus point performances and, and then playing the defense the way they do. This is what they had in mind. And, uh, you know, the Aaron Gordons of the world slowing Kevin Durant down a little bit. Um, and, they, you know, they obviously solved Devin Booker a little bit in the later stages of the series. It came together, and, and they look like an incredible team right now. Uh, the Athletic Sam Amick here on the Jim Rome Show. Sam, if I asked the Denver Nuggets who they'd rather play, the Warriors or Lakers, I wouldn't get a straight answer, which is one reason I love having reporters on. Both the Lakers and the Warriors, to my eye, are excellent teams and, and can make whoever wins that series certainly capable of winning the whole thing. But if you're Denver, just from a matchup perspective, which team would you rather face knowing that they're both formidable? It's a, like you said, and I hate to fall right into your trap, it, <laughs> that's a tough answer. I know, I know. It's a bad matchup, I think, in both directions for Denver, and I think they're going to be up against it regardless. You know, if you go back to the conference finals in the bubble in 2020, you know, Jokic, that was far and away his worst playoff series was against those Lakers. You know, Anthony Davis at the time, Dwight Howard, that length and that size and that athleticism gave him fits. Uh, You know, the Warriors, conversely, again, I kind of alluded to that first-round series last year, no Jamal Murray, no Michael Porter Jr. Uh, The Warriors came out of that series feeling like, you know, if you just put Jokic in the blender and pick and roll him all night long on the defensive side, you're going to slow him down. And, and they, they were not, you know, kind of awed by Jokic's talent last season when it comes to the collective Nuggets attack, if that makes sense. So both tough matchups. Um, you know, I'll, I guess I'll pick the Warriors because they don't have that rim protection and, and, and the type of big, you know, Draymond Green's an incredible defensive player, but um, – you know, uh, right now, the way AD looks, I think I'd want to steer clear of him. Sam, uh, this Lakers-Warriors series continues tonight here in L.A. Uh, this Warriors team trying to come back from a 3-1 deficit. They'd obviously have to win tonight and then go back to, to their home in the Bay and, and win again. It, it's, been a, it's been an interesting series. you got, you know, you have the Anthony Davis injury and you have the, the wheelchair and you have Steph Curry right. who said this after the win that he has not shot well from the three-point line. He hasn't, right around 34%. Clay has had, Clay Thompson, so, some off games. It's just... It's been an unusual series. You are based on the West Coast, even though you're a national guy. You spend a lot of time in San Francisco. You're around the Warriors a lot. What is your confidence level that Golden State can force a Game 7 tonight by winning here in L.A.? I mean, it's, it's a, to me, it's a coin flip game, which I love, Bill. I mean, we, we kind of sat there in Games 3 and 4 you know, and, and watched uh, you know, Game 3, lopsided Game 4 on the edge of your seat. If I had to guess, I think it's going to be closer to game four. Uh, the shooting, to me, is everything. Because, I, you know, just based on the odds, I think the Lakers, you got to imagine, are going to find a way to, to have AD's defensive presence get back to that elite level again where it wasn't in game five. 
you know, the way the Warriors pulled him away from the rim, the way that they, you know, the, the Lakers were switching everything defensively, that kind of jacked up AD's ability to, to kind of haunt the Warriors the way he had. Uh, I think that'll probably be back in some form, which means the, the Warriors got to hit shots. You know, they hit 21 threes in games one and game two. I've not shot very well since then. You know, for what they do and the Splash Brothers legacy and that aspect of their dynasty, like that is, to me, you know, I know it's much easier said than done, but that is the quickest cheat code against these Lakers. If you want to go, you know, just even run your offense and, and bomb away and, and, and shoot like you know you can, then they probably push this thing to game seven. Uh, but this is a tough moment for them. They've not played well here. Steph in particular, you know, his agent, his efficiency has not been great. So we'll see what happens. Uh, Sam Amick here on the Jim Rome Show. I'm Bill Ryder filling in for, for Jim. Sam, I, I'm not a member and would not be allowed to enter the premises of the Doc Rivers fan club. That that would not be a, a, a good fit for me. And obviously today's a pretty easy day to be critical of, of Doc Rivers if that's a place people want to go. There's still a game left. I mean, obviously that Celtics-Sixers series is not over yet. To my eye, it looked like Philly gave up at the end of that game. Do you think the Sixers have a real fighting chance because we can be captains of the moment. I certainly can be. Do you think Philly has a fighting chance, a real chance to go into Boston and win that game seven and make a conference finals? Uh, I'm going to say no. You know what I mean? Like, you know, shoot, you're, you're uh, giving me a hard time about us being politically correct. <laughs> i say no. I, you know, I, you're talking about a, a Boston building, game seven, all the history. I thought this little fun fact was interesting. I think it's the most game sevens in league history is the Celtics and Sixers. And uh, and this would be number eight, if I have that correct. And that crowd, and, you know, as much as I started to believe that Philly had figured it out, you just continue to see these moments that make you doubt it. And you got Doc Rivers' history. You've got the idea that, you know, James Harden had so, so many kind of redeeming offensive performances in this series. But then, like the rest of them yesterday, has a hard time. Um, so in terms of trust, and the way Tatum bounced back, to be honest with you, because he looked fantastic yeah. in that fourth quarter after a nightmarish first three quarters. Uh, you know, I think I got the Celtics in this one. Sam, you know that the, the, the line between success and failure in, in the NBA is really thin. Are the expectations on Joe Missoula unfair, given the fact that he is in his mid-30s and he did not anticipate, nobody anticipated him having this job at the start of the year? Or is it just the, the fact is you're the Celtics coach, they're one of the favorites, doesn't matter how you got the job, you got to win or the criticism come. What, what's the right read for you on how we evaluate Joe Missoula if they do not advance, let's say, even to the finals this year, if they do lose over the weekend? I mean, considering – and this is such a weird dichotomy. Considering even his own players, chief among them, Marcus Smart, you know, Marcus last night in his press conference, Bill, sounded every bit like a media member where he said that, you know, that Joe had been – getting killed and he kind of paused and said, and, and with good reason, or like he should, something like that. And, and, and he knows the deal. You're the Boston Celtics head coach. You know, Ime Udoka was a first time head coach when he took that job and, and faced all the same scrutiny. Um, you know, that adjustment to put Robert Williams in the starting lineup obviously paid off. We'll see if it continues to work, but I think the scrutiny is fair and he knows that. Um, but the, the learning curve is real. You know, you, for all the warts that the Doc has, uh, he's a celebrated coach with an incredible resume, a championship coach, and, and Joe is just getting started. He's an incredibly young man and a guy that has inspired faith with these Celtics. But, uh, you know, playoff basketball contests everybody, and, and we've seen that with Joe.
Uh, Sammy McGlass, one for you. I know, I know you got to run here. I, I want to ask you, though. I'm just going to write the Knicks off because they've been mean to me. I'm just going to, and because I don't think they're going to win this series. <laughs> so they're done. Knicks fans who were so chirpy until they weren't. Where have you all gone, Knicks fans? I miss you. Sports writer still. Sports R E I T E R. So once, Sam Mamick, the, the, the Heat move on in this series, uh, are you willing to call if the Heat make the conference finals? Are they a championship contender or despite how well they've played, given Jimmy's ankle and Hero's injury and just the fact that they're obviously on a top seed, do, will you retain some skepticism even if they advance to the conference finals they can keep it moving, keep it rolling? Man, Bill, you're, you're sitting here on national radio asking me to question Jimmy Bucket. I'm shocked. <laughs> Wrong with me. I'm sorry. You're right. Come on, man. Come Bad on. Me. No way. I was in the bubble. I saw him do it. You know, I, it's funny. I don't call many shots right, but when they went up against Milwaukee in the first round, uh, I, I thought to myself, you know, I know the Bucks had solved the the heat problem, uh, you know, a couple of years ago and kind of exercised those demons. But Jimmy in particular uh, had that look in his eye and, you know, got through those Bucks and has been going ever since. The guy's incredible. Yes, the ankle injury matters. Uh, but, no, I, I think, you know, the idea of them being in the finals would not shock me in the slightest. Sam, I lied to you. 20-second question. You know that there's free soft serve at Lakers games. They're famous for it for the media. <laughs> How many bowls of ice cream, tell me the truth now, uh, is too many and, you, and people start to judge me tonight? I think, you know, once you once you get into – if you get seen with two, Bill, and, and ironically I'm about 30 feet away from the legendary <laughs> soft serve machine yeah. as we speak, um, two is maybe it. And then even worse if you do what I do lately, I, I really need to stop because I'm, you know, adding a couple LBs. But, like, the uh, the cone is the one. If you act like you're 12 years old and you get the cone instead of the cup, <laughs> Throw some you know, sprinkles then on there. people kind of look at you funny. Yeah, but I don't care. I'm going for it. I hit three the other day, and Rachel Nichols looked <laughs> oh, at me boy. like I had two heads. <laughs> Sam Amick, thank you, buddy. You had two love handles. This would be got, <laughs> I got three love handles. <laughs> they can see on CBS Sports Network. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. See you tonight, pal. Uh, Sam Amick on the show. Sam underscore Amick. Friend of mine, great guy, Rob Dibble. Dibbs, what's up, buddy? Not much, man. How about those Celtics? How about those? By the way, can I just can I just straight talk with you here? Sure. A, a Doc Rivers team up 3-2 is any other team down 2-1. I mean, that this was inevitable. This was an <laughs> inevitable outcome. <laughs> what was the stat I saw today? He's been in the most game sevens ever, and he's lost nine of them. Yeah, he's lost nine of them. He ha- he is. You ready? I have it written down. Seventeen and thirty-two. That's a thirty-four percent win rate when his team has a chance to win a series. That's crazy. It's not good. It's a- no. Speaking of not good, let me ask you a question here. Let me get into the the hard hitting stuff first. Mookie Betts, sure. I'm sure you saw. Didn't stay with the team at a team hotel on a recent trip to Milwaukee. He got a VRBO because he. He thought the place was haunted and was worried about ghosts. Now, you you came up through the I Myers. stayed in that hotel. It's not that haunted. Are there haunted hotels? Are there go- I think there are. Are there ghosts out there? Absolutely. I, I think there's spirits that haven't moved on, and I think that there's some people that uh, you know truly believe in that kind of stuff, and uh, I'm one of them. I'm with you, bro. <laughs> so I, I've had some different moments in my life where I thought, uh, something was, you know, around me or possibly watching me. So I'm a, I'm a hunter. I go in the woods by myself a lot, um, especially years ago where I'd get up in my tree stand at 3.30 in the morning and stuff. And so there's there's all kinds of things you think you see and, and feel around you. So I just I, I think that's part of being human. It's our emotions. Um, I, I'm, I, I'm with you. Now, that said, 
does a guy like Dave Roberts or any manager, do you think they just look at you funny? I mean, that's a pretty – it's one thing to think that's true. It's another thing to be like, hey, Skip, I'll be at the VRBO, bro, because of the ghosts. C- can you pull that off if you're not a former MVP? Ah. Uh... I don't know. I mean, there's a <laughs> lot of guys. I can go back to Cal Ripken Jr. He stayed at different hotels just because people would bug his teammates so much, and, and he didn't want to be around that. So I, I think that uh, some guys stay different places for reasons unbeknownst to the team, and I don't think the guys on the team really care. As long as you show up uh, you know, for the game and, and you're there for stretching and stuff on time, um, you're, you're pretty much professional. So if some guy's weirded out by hotel or – uh, superstitious or cautious because of ghosts. Um, I've I've been around it before. I've had a lot of different weird stuff happen in my career and even afterwards. So um, I it, it it I wouldn't put it past Dave Roberts to just let that slide. Uh, Rob Dibble here on the Jim Rome Show. I'm Bill Ryder filling in for 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 Jim. Um, Dibs, I think you and I are aligned in that when we have talked before on this show, on the show that I do normally before Jim, we are not. Re- leading a, a celebration of compliments for the commissioner of Major League Baseball. I think we, we've been pretty aligned on, on not necessarily being the biggest fan of the commissioner, but I will say I have been shocked by how well the changes have gone, I think, this year that they have applied to Major League Baseball, particularly the pitch clock. What? But you, you played. What do you make of the speed of the game and Major League Baseball's decision to try and change that as we've seen it play out so far this season? Well, I I mean, it depends on who you ask. There's some players that like to take more time, whether it's on the mound or in the box. Um, It's something that could have been enforced by umpires long ago, and now they're having fun enforcing some ridiculousness with you weren't in there by eight seconds, you didn't throw the ball by when the clock struck zero and, you know, by a millisecond, so I'm going to call a strike on you or a ball on you. I mean, it's it's treating – and I coach eight-year-olds, so I know how you treat eight-year-olds, and I treat them better than they're treating some of the major leaguers right now. So we'll, we'll wait till the postseason to see if a game is called on a strike three for a guy not being in the box or, uh, you know, maybe a World Series game, a game of importance that um, not saying that the regular season isn't important because I think every game is important. But um, the, these guys haven't made huge arguments yet. But I think if, it, if it's a lot of money on the line or – uh, vesting purposes for a bonus or something like that uh, for you to get a certain amount of games finished or saves or something uh, or a certain amount of at-bats, I, I think then guys will start questioning it. But, you know, listen, I like the games going quicker. Um, my biggest problem, Bill, is there's not that much more action. Yeah, the, the balls seem livelier. I've had different analysts say that they feel that the balls are, are wound tighter. I don't see the batting averages jumping up. I see half the teams in Major League Baseball Still hitting below 245, which is a 100-year-old mark of uh, futility and and just not good baseball. Guys are still striking out at an alarming rate. I count between 15 and 20 combined per game. So, I I, I mean, I thought it was supposed to make it more fan-friendly. I I thought there was supposed to be more action, uh, you know, per minute kind of stuff. So, yeah, I I like the games being two and a half, um, you know, but I still see sloppy defense. I, I see more stolen bases because you can only throw over twice. I think that's a garbage rule, you know, because a lot of gamesmanship and, and um, trying to stop the running game is, is played in the dugout. And guys like Dave Roberts, who stole one of the biggest gate bases in, in postseason history, would probably tell you, Lad, listen, 
if I knew that after the second throwover I could leave on the third pitch, um, I would go. And it, it would be an easier stolen base for me. So, I, you know, there's, there's some things that could be tightened up. But, no, I don't, I don't mind the pitch clock, and I certainly don't mind you enforcing the rules that were already in place. Dibs, Kenley Jansen got his, I think it's 400 save. I think he got it this week. And, and yes. to me. Seventh, all time, seventh yeah. on the list, and only seven um, guys have ever gotten a 400. And to me, and we, we had this conversation earlier in the week on the radio show, he's a no-brainer Hall of Famer. But that, apparently that's a debate. That, that's a conversation. Do closers get the respect, historically, the great ones, that they deserve? No, because John Franco should be a Hall of Famer. Yes. Um, and anybody who's over, Billy Wagner's a Hall of Famer. Um, you know, listen, I was just in Cincinnati for five days with Randy Myers and Norm Charlton. Randy Myers is a Hall of Famer. Check his stats. Guy was phenomenal. Uh, one of the ba- best control pitchers I've ever played with. Um, 300 and I think 48 saves or whatever, right around 350. He might have more. I think he has like 364, something like that. But – if you look at how many games they help their teams win and you look at their winning percentages and their war and any other, uh, you know, analytic statistic you need to get your brain around that some of these guys are Hall of Famers. I mean, there, there's some guys that are in the Hall of Fame that, that are absolute trash. Shouldn't be there, didn't deserve to be there, but because they were media friendly back in the day, they, they voted them in and got them 75% of the vote. Then there's a ton of guys that aren't in the Hall of Fame and if you look at it like I do, it's a museum. It's, a, it's not attached to Major League Baseball. It's, it's something that was in the 30s, brought about by a guy's memorabilia collection that he wanted tourists to come see. So I try to keep things real. You know me, Bill. Um, and if I'm taking my kid to the Hall of Fame, I want to see the top 10 relievers of all time. I want to see the top 10 starters of all time. I want to see the top 10 home run hitters um, and most valuable players. How is Barry Bonds? Roger Clemens and Pete Rose not in the Hall of Fame. I could care less what you think about their character because there's plenty of NFL guys, NBA guys that have character flaws. Um, But we're talking about a museum based on statistics for when you played a sport. And I think it's high time that that we start getting off our, um, you know, high horse and thinking, well, we're the morality police and, and we have this vote. Change the vote. Take it away from the media. Take it away from the Baseball Writers Association. Because if you can't handle the boat and you continue to miss it every year, um, I, I can't help you. Dib, who are some of the trash Hall of Famers? Oh, I'm not going to get into that, but there's some guys that weren't the fifth best guy in their lineup, and I had to face them. So oh, I want to name figure that out by going back to like the Houston Astros and uh, some of the other teams that I had to face 20 times a year. Rob Dibble. You know, there, there's guys that statistically. Um, got a certain amount of hits or a certain amount of stolen bases or a certain amount of doubles, um, I don't quite think you're a Hall of Famer. And then it was a struggle for a guy like Jeff Bagwell, who anybody I talked to, any pitcher, any one of my peers, he was one of the most badass hitters that ever lived. You know, the, the fact that there were some guys that, that didn't want to put Jim Rice in the Hall of Fame, you know, that's a joke. So there, there's, you know, and Bob Feller was the one who, who called attention to it. He said, listen, there's different levels of the Hall of Fame, you know, and, and, and I agree with that. There, there's royalty, and then there's some guys that had statistics that got them in, and then there's guys like Fred McGriff or other guys that were Hall of Famers that had to fight tooth and nail uh, to, to get into the Hall of Fame. Like, Kurt Schilling's a Hall of Famer. I don't care what you think about his politics, Agreed. his character. Yeah. But what that guy did in the, in the postseason, Andy Pettit's a Hall of Famer. 
Andy Pettit pitched a whole nother, even more than a, a regular season in the postseason. So, you know, it, it, I don't care what you think of these people, and I'm not a fan of some of these guys at all. Don't get me wrong. I'm not condoning them. I don't condone the PEDs or any of that crap. But when I look at them compared to me or anybody else that played in the major league, Andy Pettit and Kurt Schilling are right at the top of my list of guys that should be in the Hall of Fame. All right, Dibs, next time you're on, I'm going to try to coax a name out of you or two. Just think about which trash Hall of Famer you want to call out, but not today. Oh, I got plenty of them that I could throw at you, but I, I don't want to open myself up. I know. I want to, I want to get, <laughs> get in there. The water's warm, buddy. Uh, hey, pal, great hearing your voice. Thanks for being on the show, man. As always, appreciate you. All right, go Celtics. <laughs> go Celtics, buddy. Good night now!